Right now in America, one in 10 people are currently in recovery from drug or alcohol addiction. And of those, some 50 to 90% will relapse at some point in their lives. Because of the power of addiction, many of them may never regain their recovery. Hi, I'm Ron Chapman. I'm an alcoholic with nearly three decades of sustained sobriety. If there's one thing I know about substance abuse recovery, it's that recovery is always a work in progress. Progressive recovery is a commitment to continuously moving forward every day to strengthen one's recovery. Recovery isn't just about learning how to not use. It's about the willingness to tackle the underlying issues that trigger using in the first place. Welcome to Progressive Recovery. People sharing stories from their daily fight for sobriety. This is Ron Chapman. Welcome back to Progressive Recovery. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about finding hope or trust associated with the second step in recovery and also surrender associated with the third step. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but we're going to talk with Jacob. Now, that is a pseudonym, and there's a very deliberately reason that we've chosen it. You'd see Jacob, and he's a creature of the South in a lot of ways. He's a young man relatively speaking, slender in, in his own way. Obviously, a, you'd look at him and see an athletic background just in the way he walks and holds himself. You'd probably find him very engaging, which I think is what's going to happen here. Jacob, delighted to have a chance to chat with you about this progressive recovery stuff. I'm delighted to be here as well. Thank you. So why do we call you Jacob? There's a, there's a, there's a great story here that uh, our listeners need to hear. What's up with Jacob? Well, I'm not as familiar with the biblical story as you are, but interestingly enough, as I understand it, Jacob was somebody in the Old Testament who very much wrestled with the angel of the Lord, so to speak, and had quite a time with that, which has very much been comparable to my life experience as well. Yeah, I when I heard your story and, and we talked at length, it was like this dude's been wrestling with the angels of the Lord, so it seemed perfect. Yes, and I've wrestled both in active addiction, and in my recovery. Yeah, so, so give us the thumbnail on you. You've, you've got six years officially in, I guess, seven years, but five years clean and sober. But tell us, tell us how you got here. Be happy to. So just to start from kind of the beginning, but into my life a little bit. I started drinking and drugging around the age of 12 years old. I had my first cigarette was a daily pot smoker about 15 and amidst this time my parents had gotten divorced which was a traumatic event very much unrecognized as traumatic for me at the time and because of this I did find a, a, a relief in drugs and alcohol that took me out of myself at an early age coupled with a predisposition really kind of created the perfect storm for addiction so the relief, the perfect storm. Just say a little bit more about that, Jacob. Well, as many people experience, divorce is a difficult thing to go through as a child. And it was no different for me, especially being the oldest of three brothers and sisters. The pressure of it and the experience of it was something I did not have the ability to cope with. And it's easy to see this sort of in hindsight. The clarity is a little bit more clear, obviously. But at the time, it was something that I couldn't cope with, and the 
relief through drugs and alcohol gave me an ability to kind of survive that I otherwise didn't have. So where did it take you? Well, by the time I was 15, as I said, I was a daily pot smoker. I had also started binge drinking pretty regularly. Uh, long story short, I ended up getting arrested at 16 because I was experimenting with psychedelics and was charged with first-degree burglary for breaking into somebody's home in a residential area. I didn't break in because I was a thief, not to explain myself too much, but I did break in because I was out of control under the influence of some pretty powerful drugs. Ended up in jail for a weekend. My dad forced me into my first treatment experience at 16 years old. I was sent to a place in Anderson, South Carolina. Ended up kind of scared sober for a year after that experience. And one quick thing to point out as well before I move into the rest of the story, I did happen to go to my first AA meeting in that treatment center. Very unwillingly, but no doubt did it leave an impression. A year later, I uh, was restless, irritable, and discontented without really being familiar with that language. But looking back, this is obviously what I was. I was a junior at boarding school in Asheville and kind of picked up right where I left off smoking pot and drinking because I really didn't fit into my own skin without it. Fast forward a little bit, progressively drank more in college to the degree of being kind of a standout even amidst my fraternity brothers. Wet my bed a good bit, passed out on the bus to things like the Carolina Cup. Very rarely made it to a football game and had little or no intimate relationships with women because drinking was by far more important to me. In my mid-20s, I ended up I ended up a college dropout and uh, broken up from a pretty serious relationship with a woman who was very special to me, but drinking was more important. Because my life was so unmanageable at the time, I had started willingly going to AA meetings, actually, to try and find some help. Managed to pick up at least half a dozen or more white chips because I couldn't seem to stay sober. White chip. What's a white chip? A white chip in most AA circles is a sign of surrender, a sign of you know uh, becoming a member of the organization. A lot of people pick it up on their first day or when they decide to sort of become a member of AA. So you were you were in and out, in and out, lots of white chips then. In and out of AA, pretty regular though. Uh, was interested in it, actually had a sponsor for a little period of time, which was very uh, inability to, I had an inability to sort of uh, jive with the big book or the culture. It wasn't really my thing. Long story short, again, I ended up on the heels of multiple public disorderly conduct arrests. I was in Cracktown, where I grew up with a fifth grade goose in the front seat, was pursued by the cops for public disorderly conduct, resisted going to jail because I didn't like going there, and ended up with a resisting arrest charge and a public disorderly conduct charge, stayed in jail for two weeks because my family left there. They felt, left me there. I wasn't able to bail myself out. And everybody I knew felt safer with me in jail. Uh, my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend at the time had visited me, and her and my mom found a place called The Faith Home down in Greenwood, South Carolina. Real quick backtrack to before I get into the faith home experience, I did end up reading a, a proverb in jail while I was sort of uh, bored into reading the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. <laughs> and the proverb 3, 5, and 6 made an impression on me that I'll never forget. It, it reads, uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. I would certainly cite this as probably one of the most monumental trust moments spiritually speaking, that I've ever had. 
Ended up in the Faith Home. My dad anonymously bailed me out of jail. Went to the Faith Home, which is a faith-based treatment center down in Greenwood, South Carolina. Had a fantastic experience there for two months, just getting clean and sober, doing a lot of Bible study, going to AA meetings, and was, for the first time, really cultivating this relationship with a God as I understood him at around 25 years old. And ended up staying sober again for about a year. Was very enmeshed with that girl at the time in my recovery and in my life. Ended up restless, irritable, and discontent in that relationship and in my recovery. Ended up breaking up with her and pretty much breaking up with church and AA in the process. A break from everything. For some reason, I still didn't really fit into the one day at a time spiritual way of life that was offered to me either via the church or AA. I can't really explain why. It just was okay. Got to ask the question, Jacob. Is that like one more variation on wrestling? I would certainly cite this to be (laughs) an example of wrestling with the Lord and wrestling with all the manifestations of the Lord that were people, (laughs) places, things, circumstances. Yep. Uh, It's not uncommon for us addicts to struggle to fit in, is it? Not in the least, especially when we're trying to change. Um. So my brother happened to go to grad school in Boone, North Carolina at Appalachian State, not to get too specific. But I ended up there with him, mostly because I was running from my inability to let go of a relationship again. I had finally moved on and met somebody else. The girlfriend I had at the time had met somebody else. Even though I broke up with her, it seriously crushed my heart because in hindsight, again, it's obvious to me I've had serious love addiction issues and codependent relationships. But I moved to Boone, North Carolina, sober, to live with my brother and to get away from her. It's not unusual for me to have a lot of geographic sort of examples of trying to change, too. And that's very much a part of my wrestling story. And Boone, a year into my recovery again, detached from AA, detached from church. I was restless, irritable, and discontented at 25. Despite all of my exposure to recovery and despite the consecutive period that I experienced, I relapsed again. This ended up being a four-year slip, give or take. Took me to the Florida Keys with a girl that I had met whom was graduating from Appalachian State and got a job down there. I lived in South Florida with her for a couple years. Ultimately, she was uh, the greatest drinking buddy I'd ever had. And my drinking picked up exactly where it left off and progressed to even worse levels. Uh, Ended up seriously incapable of controlling my bodily functions. I couldn't eat, work, sleep, or wake up without a drink pretty much. We took uh, a trip to California in 2008 in an attempt to camp around the country and move away from where we were to try and deal with my drinking issue. As is always the case, wherever you go, there you are. And I showed up in California just like I showed up everywhere else without a daily program of recovery. The drinking picked up right where it left off, despite a really cool cross-country trip and a new geographic. I was on about a five-day bender when my girlfriend was coincidentally on a trip out east, and somebody came over from work because I hadn't been showing up for work. I finally, the last thing that really made me a functional alcoholic was falling away from me, my ability to go to work, and she came over. I consider her one of my nice angels in my, in my life experience, not one that I wrestled with. She poured out all my booze, left a sandwich on the counter, took my keys and my dog away from me at 2 o'clock in the morning on August 
17th, 2009, I woke up and had a moment of clarity. I have, I went to an AA meeting the next day. I had a 22 ounce beer to detox and I haven't had a drink since then. Uh, very much got involved in AA at a whole new level. Got a sponsor that uh, really appreciated, started reading the big book, going to meetings regularly. Uh, developing this relationship with this power that I still didn't understand very well, but certainly trusted. And it was at this time when I really trusted this power to alleviate me of the obsession to drink. And it was more clear to me than ever that, that, that my addiction was twofold. One, it was a physical thing where I couldn't stop drinking when I started, but it was also very much a mental thing that I couldn't stay away from if, if I stopped. And this mental obsession thing was something I seriously needed help with. And I did trust in this power greater than myself and surrendered to the way of this power to, to help me with this issue. A year into my recovery experience at 31, I was bargaining with the notion whether or not I was a drug addict too and felt pretty convinced that I was an alcoholic and not a drug addict so I could safely use mood mind altered chemicals that weren't alcohol. Ended up slipping. Uh, I call it slipping, a one-day slip. Slipping as in relapsing. Slipping or re yes, relapsing at a fish show in California. Uh, took some psychedelics, smoked some pot, and about 30 minutes into the show under the influence of these mood mind altering chemicals, I was very aware that I had lost my conscious contact in a very palpable way. Conscious contact with this power greater than With yourself. this power that I was continuing yeah. to develop a relationship with, that I was trusting and surrendering to. And ever since then, I have, no, I have not felt the need to take a mood or mind altering chemical, including anything narcotic or drug-oriented, and uh, I had another, let's say, monumental sort of head-to-heart shift there around what it was I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to sort of pursue the relationship with this power greater than me. It's pretty amazing that I didn't take a drink that night because the obsession was on me like white on rice in a way it hadn't been for up to a year because I was vulnerable under the influence of those drugs. Fortunately enough, that head-to-heart shift that moment of clarity that happened back in 2009 was strong enough, I think, to carry me through that vulnerable experience. So fortunately for me, I did not pick up another drink because it might be a totally different story if I did. At any rate, it didn't take me long to get dialed back into AA pretty intensely. I picked up a new sponsor and the rest is history really with my relationship with Alcoholics Anonymous and my own recovery. I've been five years clean and sober ever since. Very active in AA, despite moving to Greenville back in 2013, uh, or back to the South. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to speak with such uh, mysterious magnanimity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let, let's pick that up then. As let's talk about these because you've mentioned it several times. This this notion of the uh, what's known as the second step. This coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Let, let's start there because that's the finding hope space or the learning to trust space as you described it. But Jacob, it's different for you from that starting point and then a, a relapse required you to find it again, presumably. And then today, this finding hope proposition is yet different still for you. Can you describe for our listeners the evolution of this finding hope and trusting process for yourself? I'd be happy to try and describe this a little bit, and words are difficult and sometimes clumsy when doing just such, because it really is a mysterious thing for me. And I feel as though I've always had a natural inclination to this trusting 
some power greater than me to assist me in my life and help me in the process of change and aid me in my, my struggles. But my understanding of how that works and my experience with that has been very much an evolution uh, riddled with challenges and um, all sorts of surprises. So what was the starting point for this, what we continue to label power greater than yourself? That was, sounds like a traditional God kind of point of view. It very much is, and uh, though it was rooted in a lot of traditional concepts and points of view, it has evolved into something totally much more mysterious and uh, not concrete. But I would say from early on, I remember being real philosophical and sort of just uh, questioning in nature about who God is and what, what's the meaning of life and the essence of the universe. But at 25, this experience really catapulted when I read that proverb in jail. And there was an immediate sort of mysterious and very real trust that came out of nowhere, so to speak. And mm -hmm. this power that I didn't understand, but was probably more framed up in the Christian, Judeo-Christian sort of concept. Yeah. And ever since, I've, I've trusted and had a relationship with, despite how difficult it may be, this power greater than me. So what happened there, though? Because a, a relapse, as you said, you, you, you had this this break in your conscious contact with that. What happened when you relapsed? Did you, did you lose the trust? Did you, what we might typically call faith? Did you, did you forget yourself? I mean, or, or what happened? I think that, to be honest, I don't exactly know what happened, but if I were to put words to it, my conception of how to trust and what it was I was trusting in was naive and misguided and I was still identified with a power not greater than myself <laughs> a say more about a power not greater than myself what whatever my concept of me sort of is that isn't this power greater than me has in large part been what I've sort of conditionally relied on and unfortunately been led down sort of unmanageable pathways because of yeah. this. So even when I've thought I'm relying on a power greater than myself or trusting in a power greater than myself, I've actually truly been trusting more in myself. Uh, and it hasn't worked out too well for me, including but not limited to my relapse around you know, my addiction to alcohol. Boy, I can sure hear the wrestling and the struggle in there, Jacob. Um, so you used a phrase when we in our conversation before. You talked about needing a higher, higher power. What? What's up with that? Because that, that's this subject, right? It's, it certainly is, and it's funny that we came up with that uh, frame of reference a while back because it totally encapsulates the essence of what works for me and also what is my greatest challenge and a higher higher power is a concept of god a concept of a capital p power as one of my sponsors used to refer to it as greater than myself which is bigger and larger and more mysterious than what i'd previously considered it to be it's evolving with you it's evolving with me day to day moment to moment challenge to challenge i i really do I guess for myself, seem to seriously 
wrestle, as you like to phrase it, with the concept of trusting something greater than me that isn't me. And it's it's been a challenge, to say the least, not to default to you know relying on myself. How do you keep finding that hope and trust? Where's that come from? Well, in the same way that the hope and trust sort of found me out of nowhere when I was in jail in my mid-20s, it keeps kind of finding me out of nowhere because I keep bumping into problems via my default <laughs> mechanism of relying on Jacob and not this capital P power greater than myself. Almost sounds like <laughs> the wrestling. How do... So the wrestling is like a gift. The wrestling is certainly like a gift. In fact, I would very much say it is a gift, not like a gift, because within the experience of the challenge comes the awareness of the true nature of this power that is beyond me and greater than me and trustworthy as opposed to myself, which really isn't. So, okay, something just popped out, Jacob. You just used, I, I saw the look on your face when you said trustworthy. And somehow or another, that threw me back to when you were telling your story about this, well, I guess what I would say seemed like a very untrustworthy life experience. Am I, am I hearing that right? That this is something to rely upon? That I'm making up words here because I don't know. No, it is. And it, as we sort of move into the space, or trying to describe the mysterious essence of what this power is and how to get in touch with it, I think that you're right on, though. It's difficult to describe, it's difficult to speak about, but it's very real and it's very trustworthy. And my experience otherwise has been very frustrating and untrustworthy and um, constantly riddled with life challenges and experiences, which ultimately lead me back to this sort of cornered place of trusting in something else, something better, something greater than Jacob. <laughs> 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 so, okay, so that sets the scene then for this idea of surrender, and, and the overt third step is we, we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand God as the usual language. We have talked about that, Jacob, as a, a, a surrendering activity. So, talk to us about surrender. Okay. Once again, it takes a moment to sort of just ingest that because it's such a big request. And difficult to do at times. Surrender, in my experience, very much speaks to the place where you just really have nowhere else to turn because all that you know and all that you've experienced has led you to a place of ultimate frustration, unmanageability, and uh, willingness to open up to something different. And whatever this ego concept is that is Jacob, it continues to produce results that are not ideal. So in, this, in the wake of that experience, I come to a place of surrender to this mysterious power, this God as I understand him, that really does seem to guide me in a, a more harmonious and ideal direction. So the, the phrase that came to mind, and it goes back, I, I think you said this in your story, is it's almost like it fell upon you this surrender, which sounds like what happened when you were first struck sober. 
Very similar. I can recall clearly a time in California when I'd been doing some pretty intense inventory work. And real quick, just to preface this example I'm going to use, the God as I understand him thing that I'm surrendering to evolved with my experience of the practice of surrender. It very much is a practice. And with the practice changes the concept, with the changing concept is a changing practice. At any rate, uh, but it's still a principle we come back to time and time again. But I've been doing some pretty intense uh, inventory work around an attachment to an ex-girlfriend that was incessantly challenging my life with serious unmanageability. Couldn't, uh, couldn't get away from my cell phone without forever looking for a text message. Couldn't sleep at night without thinking about her. Couldn't go to, it, it was very much like the obsession to drink. I couldn't go to sleep without thinking about her. Couldn't wake up without thinking about her. Couldn't work without thinking about her. Couldn't work out at the gym without having my cell phone nearby just because I was des so desperate for her to reach out and make contact with me. At any rate, on the heels of some really cool inventory experience with my sponsor out west, I had a moment of this surrender experience sort of finding me in the grocery store. And in that moment, forgiveness found me, resentment fell away, and all of a sudden I was open to a whole new world that I'd never experienced, uh, which wasn't so attached and was much more, um, much more clear, clear-sighted, clear-sounding, clear-feeling, and I totally would attribute this to surrendering to sort of the nature of this power, which very much for me has been manifested through the practice of the rest of the steps. Too. Again, we hear that evolution. Talk to us about how you, let's say, keep surrendering. Well, ultimately, I keep surrendering because I keep getting cornered with this. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> pretty, <laughs> this, pretty simple. <laughs> this wrestling with the angel, the freaking angel of the Lord, really, which the angel of the Lord that's wrestling with me is me. Um, <laughs> But whether it's my obsession to drink or letting go of an old relationship, going back to school, sticking with a job, I continue to rely on myself in a way that doesn't work, that corners me into a place of having to trust something outside of myself. That has been a very fortunate experience for me because the more that I uh, evolutionarily learn to depend on this power greater than me and surrender to this power greater than me, which... By the way, the way that this power works through me and through my life is not necessarily on my terms and has been very difficult for me to come to grips with, but it is still ultimately the principle I fall back to time and time again because I really have nowhere else to turn and I'm get, kind of getting sick of uh, defaulting otherwise to me. That may, i, I got to do a call back now to trust. Because and you you said this, it goes back and forth. More trust, more surrender. More trust, more surrender. Like when when you just talked about getting sick of, doesn't doesn't that throw you back into okay? Take a deep breath. How am I going to trust some more and do some more of this? It does because the funny thing about getting sick and tired of being sick and tired, whether it's around drinking or relationships or career struggles or physical difficulties um you 
these places happen upon you that are free and clear and more wondrous than anything you've ever really expected. But it's really hard to sort of maintain it and hold on to it and keep it forever. So I do want to keep manifesting those experiences, but even within that, I have a degree of powerlessness and uh, a practice of trust and surrender that is, like it's hard to talk about, that involves the work of this power and the surrender to this power that isn't something I can control. Though I desperately want to experience. Yeah. So it's funny. I'm now viewing you as an expert on struggling with this crap. Not really the expertise I was hoping to get accredited with. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> I'm triple A certified and struggling with this crap. That's right. Gold star struggler. What would you tell others who are listening about this struggle? Because I'm, I'm sure you're not the only one who, who must wrestle with these things. I mean, what are like the take-homes based on, based on all these things you've learned? A couple things, really. One, don't ever, don't ever give up on those moments where grace fell upon you or freedom fell upon you and you did very in a very real way experience contact with this power and just learn trust and surrender trust in and surrender to this power because in the moments of struggle it can be really easy to forget and lose sight of how real it is secondly i think for me it has been so very important not to take a drink and not to take a drug despite how challenging it gets because it's very integral or it's very important for me to keep bumping into the the challenge that is myself the the it's very important for me to keep wrestling because within the wrestle within the challenge within the real sober experience of, of frustration uh, the trust and the surrender becomes realer and um more useful and uh, uh, more understood. So I've got to call back to this Jacob metaphor we've been having so much fun with. Because, you know, the way that plays out biblically is that Jacob wrestles and wrestles and then gets crushed by the angel of the Lord. And then God blesses Jacob and renames him Israel and founds a great nation upon him. What's that mean to you today, knowing what you know? Which I realize is kind of an embarrassing question for you, but that would mean there's something useful to come of this, if not significant. Yeah, so there's some pretty um, powerful freedoms lately that have come upon me, so to speak, and some continued challenges, too, that because of my experience in recovery, I have hope around. But... I've gone back to school recently, and I've been able to stay with a job that I've had for the last couple of years, which challenges the crap out of me and scares the crap out of me, still on a one-day-at-a-time basis. Yet, I'm totally less afraid than I used to be because of this trust and this trust principle and the surrender principle, and more experienced with allowing this power to have its way with me. And 
interestingly enough, when I don't have to fix everything and I don't have to rely on Jacob, the journey seems to unfold just as it should in respect to all of my life circumstances. And the school thing and the job thing are perfect examples of being able to find access to power to do things that I otherwise didn't know how to do um, or had very little experience doing. Another really good example would be I'm in a relationship with a woman who has a couple kids. The son isn't very much in the picture right now, but the 10-year-old daughter and really is. And previously, I've sort of just blindly found myself in relationships that I would describe now in hindsight as involving me being really in love with the person loving me and be, me being really in love with the way I make that person feel, as opposed to truly learning how to love that person or learning how to love myself. And there's much more access to an experience now of loving unconditionally and receiving unconditional love in return, as well as an openness to being involved in this 10-year-old girl's life, uh, whom isn't mine and challenges me regularly just around the whole nature of a, a split-up family, um, a kid that's not mine, uh, all the emotional baggage she brings to the table. But because of this trust principle and because of this surrender principle, I think this power greater than myself has given me something to rely on and something to um, work through me that creates harmony and freedom and uh, a, a very manageable journey of, you know, love and relationship and life experience that is sober and getting better one day at a time. Thanks, Jacob, and congratulations. Thank you. It's been cool. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us in this episode of Progressive Recovery, which is available at ProgressiveRecovery.org and on iTunes.